Good evening. Let's synchronize that a little more. Good evening. Good evening. There we go. Again, greet you in Christ's name this evening. And uh, again, ask an interest in your prayers as we again delve into God's Word. And uh, again, look into the book of Genesis. Um, one thing for sure when you look into Genesis is God was not... One thing I want to make clear is God was not having story time with Moses. He was giving him direction. And there's so much that is encoded in the book of Genesis. And tonight, I want to admit to you all that um, this actually was a series that took about a year. And I'm kind of jumping around and giving you bits and pieces here. Feel like sometimes I hardly do justice to it, and I wasn't sure exactly right at first which one I should do, which one should I pick, uh, what subject should I pick tonight, and uh, prayed about it. And uh, I'll be honest with you, picking which subject is a lot of like uh, trying to choose between peanut butter cream pie and coconut cream pie, or um, T-bone steak, or sirloin. The main difference is is that usually I just take both and don't pray about it. This time here we don't have time for all the different subjects. So um, I felt led to go ahead and preach on this one subject tonight. If you would look at a map on New York City or even look down, see a picture that you would look down on, you would notice that it would basically look like a perfect grid. You would have the streets that would go perfectly north and south, east and west. But on the outside of that grid, you would notice on 200 Park Avenue, there is a building that stands out significantly. It's a building that would stand about 60 stories tall with a bluish hue that would have been known as the Pan Am Building. 1923, Pan Am was the prominent, actually the dominant airline in America. 1963, Pan Am had wanted to build one of the greatest buildings in its block. Interestingly, about 63-64, its stock started to fall right after that. Can we fly Pan Am today? Nope. Doesn't exist. It's interesting that a German man, I'm not even going to try to twist my tongue around to say his name, made an observation saying, it seems like bad luck follows tall buildings. Now, we just concluded that luck and coincidence doesn't exist. Now, while I think of it, I have talked to some of you, and I was going to throw a few other words that do not exist in the Hebrew language about life that we use. And I'm going to reflect back to some, especially the one word, and that is the word fair. Think about it. If, uh, okay, if, say if one of my boys or two of my boys get into trouble, one was the instigator and the other one, so let's say they're four or five, six years old, and they got into some trouble that we really needed to, uh, apply the woodshed psychology to, psychology to the seat of understanding. And we, Decided, well, I decide, okay, and I don't know that I ever counted quacks, but anyhow. Um, let's say they each need ten. I consider that fair. Now, the one who did not instigate it, was it, did he think it was fair? Probably not. So what he considers fair and I consider fair are two different things. You hear people say they should pay their fair share of taxes. But my fare and their fare is different. 
you understand real quickly that God is a not a God of of um, of a respecter of persons, but in all reality, it is not fair that you and I had the privilege of being born in a country the way we have been born in, and we have people who were born in a country who what they're wondering if they're going to have anything to eat. It's not fair. Okay? So many times in America today, and I'm probably going to get a little ahead of my subject, in America today there is so much of a philosophy that is trying to be chased after that does not exist. And it makes a great confusion. And we're going to be looking at that in a a while. But anyway, I wanted to bring that up ahead of time. There are some other words, but I, I don't think I'm going to end up having time tonight. But beings, we consider that luck and coincidence doesn't really um, go along with that. It makes us question then a few other things. Let me give you a few other illustrations. In 1875, at the southern tip of the of Manhattan, there was a huge building built by the Western Union. Western Union did what back then? Does anybody know what Western Union did back in the old days? Telegraph. Telegraph, you got it. One of the most wonderful inventions that was made back then for communication to everybody. And this building was so enormous that when it was lit up, it would lit the, light the sky well enough for the ships to find their way to the harbors in New York City. Interestingly enough, a year after that building was built, there was a knock on the door of William Horton, who was the president of the company at that time. And who would knock on the door but Alexander Graham Bell? Alexander Graham Bell said, I got something you might be interested in. No longer do you have to go by the dots and the dashes and the spaces. I have something that you call the telephone that we can hear. You can hear the actual voices of somebody else. Now, I don't have, didn't have enough time to introduce another subject called change that is actually um, also one of the truths that are hidden in Genesis. But he was not willing to look at change and he said, no, thank you, we're good. Interestingly enough, Alexander Graham Bell went home and he took everything, all the resources that he had, and he started AT&T. How long do you think what the Western Union was needed anymore? Not very much for the telegraph anymore. Now we have AT&T, who is now building a great system that the way they are, and about a century later, AT&T did not learn the lesson and they built a ginormous building that actually was to look like some kind of furniture, but in all reality, if you look at that building, it looks like the top of a tombstone. Now, we'll find something interesting is the year that that thing was finished, The government said, you've got to split some of this thing up. You cannot monopolize all the communication. You're going to have to spread this out a little bit. And so they had to sell out the... They had to make a decision, and so they sold all the local lines and kept long distance. You look at your telephone bill, which makes actually more. It's the local lines. And at that point, AT&T started losing out, and they were... Bought out by SBC. SBC company said, you know what? AT&T is well known. We're going to go back to that name. But the AT&T that you and I know today is not the same AT&T that Alexander Graham Bell had started then. In 1973, Gordon Metcalf, who was the president of the Sears had made the statement after the Sears building 110 stories high said 
We are the biggest company. We should have the biggest building. And it happened to be in 1973 to 74, they already were being stripped of being the largest company. And that is when Walmarts started coming in. And how many people would want to own Sears stock today? Practically none. I said this in church one time as I gave this introduction and after church, a man that is very knowledgeable, he got up and he said, you forgot about a building that's really close to us. And that was, and Dennis would probably, I'm sure would remember, but there was an oil company called Sohio. And Sohio was started in 1911 by none other but of J.D. Rockefeller, one of the highest producing oil companies that there was. And believe it or not, in 1981, they decided they wanted to build the largest tower or skyscraper in Cleveland. And the city of Cleveland said, no, you can't, you can't build taller than the terminal tower, which is the city tower. And so they said, we're going to come in second. And they were second in, until Key Bank came in. This was in 1981, and before they got done, they could not finish. Never was called the Ohio Tower. They were bought out by British Petroleum, which we know as BP. And Ohio was no more. Question is, does that mean that you build a tall building, you're doomed? Well... We hope to be able to answer that question by the time that we're done. But when it is always good to know the rules of the manual, the rules of God's word. So when we look at the questions and we look at for the answers, you all probably know where we're going to go in Genesis. I don't think I'd even have to tell you where we're going to go, but um, go to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to be kind of switching back and forth from chapter 11 to chapter 10. Before well no, let's go ahead and read 1 through 9. Wasn't sure which to catch back and forth a little bit, but we'll get, we'll read it first, the whole passage. And starting in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them." which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build a city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And we're going to stop there. Now, we notice here, first of all, that this is a posterity of none other but Noah and his wife and those three boys that he had, his three sons. One thing that I want us to look at is we notice here it says, it starts out, it says the whole earth was of one language language of one speech. But then if you go back into verse 10, we're going to be flipping back just a little bit. If you notice, it talks about the three different sons. And in verse 5, it says, but these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands after one after his tongue and their families. In their nations, you go to verse 20, it says these are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, and in their countries. And then you go to verse 
31, it says, these are the sons of Shem after their families, after their tongues. Wait a minute, we got several tongues. But it says here in verse 1 of 11, of one language of one speech. What is the difference? Notice here that especially in Hebrew now, it talks about one language, one speech. It is saying in the Hebrew it says lips. And in this in verse, in chapter 10, it is saying tongue. In other words, in their own dialect. Okay? We have English that is spoken in the U.S. and Canada. Where I come from, if we're going deer hunting, we're going out to the woods. In Canada, we're going deer hunting, we're going out to the bush. We all understand it, okay? But it's of one language, okay? That is what this is talking about. Each family developed their own their own dialect, but was within one language. They could understand each other. What was happening here, if you're really looking at the way he puts this in three different families, what was actually happening was a tribal effort. Okay? We want to understand one thing is that even though it is good, families are a building block to society. We cannot argue against that. Good families are a building block to any kind of society, but that is a building block only. They are not the building themselves, okay? Because if you go into God's plan of, of, uh, of us working, making a nation, whatever it may be, it is best done, and we're going to get into this more and more, it is best done when there is from numerous people, numerous families, and from numerous backgrounds, is God's plan. When it becomes tribal, there really is no progression that happens. For instance, the tribes that are along the Amazon, how many of those tribes do we benefit from as far as medically, as far as as industrially? How many of us have really benefited from those tribes? We would say not at all as far as being benefited in any way as far as that. Interestingly enough, it was even brought up by one person that even the tribes over in the the Arabia tribes, as wealthy as they are, and I'm going to bring this out, I'm kind of touching several subjects at one time, but even with the, the Arabia tribes, as much money as they had, we do not have any, anything that is from industrialization from them. All we get is the resources that they happen to be on top of, and the only reason that those resources are valuable is because those who were from a Bible-based background made industrialization that made oil worth anything. Okay? And this is part, let me refer back to Israel being a blessing to other nations. This is part of that blessing that had happened. And we go into the story of Ishmael and Isaac, which I battled whether or not to hit that or this one. Um, you will actually see where God gave a blessing for Ishmael as well. And so interestingly enough, it is because of the industrialization that has happened from the Bible-based background um, that has they have actually benefited from. But anyway, I just wanted to hit that as a side note. So it is always it is always good to have more than just us. It is more it is better. Things happen better as long as there is is many families that can that can uh, work together. We all have our different talents, we all have our different strengths, we all have um, even our backgrounds can help as we work together no matter if it is. And I'm going to stick my neck out, and I think I can fairly say this because I don't know that there's a lot of major family part in this church, but even when you look at tribal, um, when I talk about tribal, a lot of one family in a church, there usually seems to be much more conflict when that happens. Even in communities, I'm just going to say this real quickly, it's interesting that I look around in, in uh, our communities and uh, the, 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 the town that we live in is run 
by a family. Anywhere from the councilman being maybe the dad to the, the uh, marshal being the, um, the son to, and it's all in a family and you wonder why is it hard for this little town in the middle of all the others that are able to make progress. You understand then why it is very difficult for them to get anywhere. Because God's design is, in all reality, is for everyone who has a different strengths, different, different backgrounds, to work together and be able to get work together in that way. Get to that maybe more in a little bit later. Now, one of the things is going back to the Tower of Babel, before we get on any farther, I want to flip back to Genesis 10. These are very crucial verses and, uh, We need to really pay attention to to verse 8 through 10 in chapter 10. It says, And Cush began Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one, a mighty one on the earth. A mighty one. Remember that one. It says, And he was a mighty hunter, before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Eric, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. There's four main words I want us to look at here real quickly is the of Nimrod, him making cities, him being a hunter, and the kingdom being in Shinar. Now, we talked about yesterday about the uh, the definitions being very important. And one of the definitions for Nimrod is, get down so I can be above you. Get down so I can be above you. Now, we look, notice here, going back to chapter... No, I'm sorry. Going into verse 10... Of chapter 10, it says, and in the beginning of his kingdom, and in the beginning is basically a revolution. Something that is new, something that is great, and this is something that was going to be tried without God. Now, the question is, what kind of a hunter was he? Did they do a lot of bear hunting? Did they do a lot of deer hunting? What kind of a hunter was Nimrod? Now, we have to understand here that there had to be a lot of hunters because at this time, Several generations before, God told Noah, all these animals are given for me. So what kind of a hunter was Nimrod? Now, if you look at hunter and you want to look for me in my other references, it's interesting that hunter is found again the same, under the same Hebrew, is found then more in Jeremiah and Micah where it talks about hunting what? People. In Jeremiah, it was hunting Israel. The Israelites, from all, it says, from the caves and the mountains and rocks. Don't have time to turn from it. And then it goes into, into Micah. It talks about hunting people. Now, if any of you boys who have gotten a deer, how do you hunt? Real quick, let's look a little bit at how you hunt. How successful do you do, are you when you say, Hey, i got a rifle... And you get to shoot and you get to carry on. What kind of success would you have? No, you wouldn't have any success. It seems ridiculous, okay? The greatest success, especially when I think of turkey hunting, my, my oldest got a turkey the last spring, and how did he get it? He sounded like another turkey. And he called and seduced that turkey in. Is how he pulled that turkey in to get it within reach. Unfortunately for the gobbler. Okay? And in order for him to get people, it was not that he was chasing them down, but it was seducing them into what he wanted them to do. Listen me out a while, and we're going to be looking into this a little bit more. Now, there's another word that comes out here in chapter 11. It says... In the in verse two, it says, "And they found a plain in the land of none other but Shinar." 
or Shinar, or however you want to pronounce it. And so we see that this is a city of Babel that was built in that town. Now, one of the things that I want us to understand again, and this is again something that is encoded into the scripture, and it's interesting because if you look back into the Hebrew and you look at the scholars that are into original Hebrew, this is one interesting aspect for us, and that is one very important part for us to remember. And that is in verse 2, it says, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, my center column says, "Uh uh-oh, that's wrong, they journeyed to the east. Look at the map and they journeyed to the east. Now, in the time in Genesis 13, when Lot and Abraham had parted ways and he was going towards Sodom and Gomorrah. In our translation it says he journeyed to the east. You look in the Hebrew in the original it says he journeyed from the east. Not to the east. The interpreter said, uh oh, a little bit of a mistake here. He journeyed to the east. The old Hebrew Hebrew, uh, folks who studied it said, Sorry, y'all were looking wrong because you'd about as well throw away the map because that's not what we're talking about. Anytime it is talking about the east, let me ask you, what happens in the east of a morning? Sun comes up. East has always been, when it has been referred to, especially in the first five books, refers to understanding. Have you ever wondered why the expression has come and the light bulb came on? So you have to understand when they came to this point, they were leaving truth. They were leaving the understanding that was there. So first of all, before we get into this kind of a revolution and to be taken into this kind of a revolution, we leave the truth and we no longer know the truth. Now, they say to one another, go to, let us make brick. Why not stones? Why not rock? Any time that bricks are used in the Old Testament, usually it means, doesn't mean it's something that is very good at all. In fact, who was made, who was, uh, Who was enslaved when they had to make bricks? None other but the children of Israel. When they were enslaved, they were making bricks. What is the difference between bricks and stone? Bricks, they're alike. They're made, they're baked, and it might remind you maybe of the founder, you know, the founders, foundry that made it. But what are you reminded of when you see a stone? You're reminded of the great creator who has created every single stone different. There is not a stone that I know of that you can find that is the exact length, the exact height, the exact width, depth, anything. There is going to be something different with every single stone. They are totally unique. Nimrod wants everybody to be a brick. It's a lot easier to keep everybody subdued if we can just make everybody the same. We can fit everybody into the exact mold and lose their individuality. Now I want to, I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit. One of the things that I want to stress tonight is individuality, our individuality without becoming individualistic. Okay? There is a difference there. And so individuality is very important without becoming individualistic. Now, I want to make sure I'm not going to get ahead of myself here. So... I think I'm missing some of my notes here. Uh, One of the things is, is that we have to be very careful as we, as uh, we look into our families, we look into our churches, is that we recognize and appreciate each one's, could I say, stone part. 
Each one's differences, each one's, each one's um, contribution in their own way. That is one of the things that we have to be very, very uh, mindful of. You know, in Isaiah 65, talking about bricks and stones, in Isaiah 65, verse 3, he talks about them, and he talks about Israel, how they had strayed from, from him as far as God. And he said that they have burnt incense on altars of what? Brick. That was totally against God's design and command. They were to build the altars of what? Of stone. Twelve stones was what it was to take to, to, uh, to show and to, uh, I can't remember, think of the word, but we had the twelve tribes and each one, each of the twelve tribes were different. And we look at the blessing of the 12 tribes, and then I'm going to get on another little rabbit trail, but real quickly, the blessing of the 12 tribes were all different from each other. And they're all to benefit each other in all reality. And so this was a symbolism of the 12 tribes is what his command was, each one of them being unique. You go into the New Testament real quickly, when he t- when uh, Paul is writing, he doesn't say you are lively bricks. He says you are what? You're lively stones. So we look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, they go hand in hand. Now I've got one other scripture I want to turn to, and I believe we need to turn to talking about bricks and stones. Let's go to Matthew. This is, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew 21, verse 42. It says, And Jesus said unto them, Did you ever read in the Scripture the stone? He didn't say a block. He didn't say a brick. He said the stone, which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You know, we have to understand, and I've talked about the Jews, they were building a religious wall. And the fact of all the laws and the regulations that was in that wall, grace, mercy, peace, forgiveness did not fit in that wall. Anything of Christ did not fit in that wall, and they threw it out. And we realize that after Christ had died and had resurrected and the church had begun, Christ becoming the cornerstone, the very stone that was thrown out, again, not a brick, not a block, but was a stone that was put in the corner. Now, I'm going to make one real quick application. I don't know, do we have any Masons in here? I don't see anybody who says they're a Mason. Um, one of the things, I helped one man try to do mason work one day, and he knew real quickly that I was not a mason. And this was being a stonemason. And it's being artistic when you are a stonemason. Because the stone that you start with, you have to look around and look and look and look through all the stones and try to find one that's going to fit that corner. It's got to look right. It's got to flow right. And you finally get that one fitted it fit in, and then you try to find another one, and then you, you keep working out from that corner, but that corner was a determination of how this all happened. And if you finally could not find one, you had to start chipping off the corner and get that to fit where it needed to be. And you see, I want to just really make that, that um, clear to us. In all reality, that is us in the church. And we can put that in, in the application of church, whatever we have. Christ being our cor- being the cornerstone, and we fashion our lives after Him. And sometimes it takes a chipping of life. It takes maybe the chipping of our brethren, whatever it may be, sometimes to make us fit in that wall. If it were bricks and block, all you do is whack it in half and stick it there. But within our uniqueness, and with each individual stone, it makes one beautiful wall. And that's where we lose our individuality in a sense. While each one is individually unique, we lose the individualism in that wall 
that is there. And that is what God is bringing out in this passage, is that when any time bricks is used, many times it is a tyranny that is over that. And so any time that we look at any organization, when we try to make everybody a brick, it is against God's design. One of the things I'll say real quickly, along with that, that has bothered me um, where I work real quick, is that we're talking about fair and all that. Um, one of the things that we used to have to do is uh, we used to have to do reviews for every single employee. Every single employee um, had to be reviewed by the supervisors to, um, they were graded on their safety, they were graded on their productivity, they were graded on their attitude and all those things. And then it determined what kind of a raise they would have. Interestingly enough, that's not fair. Because somebody gets a 2% raise, somebody gets a 10% raise, that's not fair. So now we have dropped it and put everybody in the same category. And can you guess what? We have no incentive whatsoever because everybody's going to get the same. It's not accordingly to God's design. And it might sound ridiculous to put this toward business, but God gave us a manual how to operate in every which way of life. You can't deny it. Um, it is just a part of it. And so I just really quickly, um, that is one of the things that really hit me um, as I've studied this. Now, going on real quick, Quickly, we go on into, let me get back into Genesis again. Back to Genesis 11. It says here, it says, And they had brick for stone, in verse 3, They had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And a lot of people get carried away trying to figure out what kind of mortar that they had. But interestingly enough, you look mortar up in the Hebrew, it is actually the same material slash materialism. In order for people to give up their identity as an individual, many times they are they are um, we talked about hunting um, people, we talked about um, them being seduced. Many get seduced on the physical side, on the physical appeal. Free health care free everything, um, same wages for everybody, everybody's going to be equal, is something that appeals to the flesh. It appeals to the physical man. I said before, we have two different aspects of ourselves, the physical and the spiritual. And what happens when we try to make or when people try to make others, tyrants try to, and I use tyrants as a reference to any leader who tries to make um, bricks out of people, they basically look at you as basically whatever you are physically and do not recognize your uniqueness spiritually. Okay? And a lot of that has unfortunately crept in. Um, what happens so often is that people try to take physical things, engage things spiritually. For instance, if you take, and I've used this illustration at home a number of times, if you take a cooking thermometer that you would use to cook steaks or roast or whatever, and it starts at 100 degrees and it goes up to whatever it is to safely cook pork or poultry, and you would take that same thermometer and you would stick it in your freezer to see if it works or not. And you see that it does not go below 100 degrees and you throw the freezer away. We say that's ridiculous. you got to use the right thermometer for the freezer. But you see there's a lot of people that are trying to use a physical gauge 
for something spiritual. There are counselors who will tell people, you have a problem with theft? Yeah, that's genetically, your grandfather had that kind of a problem. Genetics is physical, but your decisions, what you make, is spiritual. So any decision that you and I make is not genetic. It's a decision God has never robbed us of making a decision on our own. God has never robbed us with that. And that is one of the things we need to keep in mind. Um, The only way to keep from being suckered into these kind of things, and I may sound a little bit like a political speaker in some ways, talking about socialism and uh, capitalism, but I will tell you, brothers and sisters, that it is a reality of our world today. In looking at history past, when that is not has, has not been educated, people have gotten suckered into things that were not biblical and went a lot farther than they thought they ever would. And tonight, as I speak this, it is not so much that it is a thing of fear, but a thing of knowledge, so that we know what is going on as people have gone away from the truth, have slid away from the truth. We no longer are Bible-based anymore. As far as our education, it is basically heathen-based education. We start coming to these conclusions as far as socialism. We're going to make everybody bricks. We're going to make everybody same. We're all going to have the same amount of money. We're all going to have free health care. We're all going to have free education. We're all going to be the same. And we're all going to live in a happy little world. As Winston Churchill said, socialism makes everybody equally miserable. And that is exactly the truth. And the only way you and I can rise above that is to have a healthy spiritual view. We notice here that is they say, let us make a tower. We're going to make something great. We're going to make it tall. We're going to have it where everybody can can see it. We're all going to be equal. We're all going to have this wonderful material wealth. And we're going to have everybody looking up to us. This is going to be grand. This is going to be wonderful. We're going to be the prominent one above everyone. Does that sound anything familiar of what we hear today? We're going to end poverty. We're going to end it all. Everything is going to be great. You know, the news is that I have is perfection is only found in one, and it's not going to be found on earth. It's only found in our Maker, who is God. That is the only perfection that is found. I'm going to actually say real quickly um, something that I heard a minister was asked one time, and if I can repeat this in a right way, um, one of the things that has stood out to me was a question that was asked to him about Christianity. They said, if, if Christianity is true, why are there so many different denominations? Why is there so many different variances? And I don't know that I can say this verbatim, but he said this to this point. He said, salvation is simple, easily understood for all mankind. But when it comes to applying it, we all are human. And we all have our different ways of making these applications. Some are flawed, some are not. And I thought he had a point of that. That in all reality, we need to understand those those uh, concepts. <clears throat> One of the things is that we need to remember is that we do not sacrifice the truth in any which way or form. Time's running out on me. Um, We notice here in verse 5 real quickly, um, it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people 
R1 and it, we go on into all of this. And interestingly enough, a lot of times I was taught that the Lord became very angry with them. But if you look up Lord in this, um, I forgot the, the uh, Hebrew name. Hiroshim means the God of mercy. God in his mercy confounded their language to get them out of under the tyranny that was there and to do his will. And to this day, we still have, even though that we have language classes and all those, we still have the language barrier that still serves as a blessing today to keep people in all different lands and to do what God had earlier commanded them to go up, uh, out on the face of the earth. <clears throat> what is interesting here is that in all reality it has been in history that prosperity and tranquility unfortunately has always trended toward tyranny. History has always proven that. The promises of equality and security and meeting social needs. Does that remind us of anything that we have today? Biblical rules are looked at as very divisive. We shouldn't do that because it does not equal everyone out. The founding fathers of this country embraced it and called it checks and balances. Trying to decide what to cut out and what to keep going. Um, The fact of the matter is that tyranny always wants to be the source. They want to be the one that we look to because to recognize God, and I hesitate to use this word, but to recognize God is to recognize that they have a boss. To recognize that they have a God who is above them. Pride always says, I want to be on top. And to recognize God is to say, I am not on top. Now, interestingly, in closing, In 1563, Peter Bruegel, the elder, who was a Flemish painter, painted what he thought was what he thought would look like the Tower of Babel. And so the European economic community wanted to build a big building, and so they hired an architect and said, we want something to look like what you think the what looks like the Tower of Babel. And so they got a hold of the painting that he had, which was a big building that had the jagged, unfinished top, what he imagined to be unfinished with. And in, in fact, in his painting, and I've looked at his paintings with this, and he has Nimrod actually in the corner doing the commanding. And then I found that interesting. This was in uh, 1600s. And they built that building. You can look it up. And they built that building in France, Strasbourg, France. And it was identical replica. And they sent out brochures for the opening ceremony saying, many languages... One nation, the European economic community. And then the question comes, would anybody want to invest in euros? The question comes, 
Is it a curse to build tall buildings? No. But it is a curse to do anything outside of the honor and glory of God. Anytime that we do anything in life, if it is to bring attention to ourselves, attention to our company, attention, any attention that is brought away from the glory of God, it is guaranteed to fail in one way or the other. I don't care if it's a business. I don't care if it's a church that is built huge. As long as it is not giving God the honor, glory, the credit, and all, it will fail eventually. And that is a th- that is a thing I want us to understand is that we live our lives to the fullest, to the honor and glory of God, and to recognize again. I can't say this again enough. Um, you know the differences that we have in our churches. Embrace those. Embrace those differences because it will make you look at your brethren and sisters totally different. Otherwise, for some reason, we tend to let our differences, and I'm talking from experience, experience, so often we let our differences chafe each other and bother each other. I've done that. I'm guilty of that. I'm going to just tell you, I've already allowed that to do that. But when I look at the fact that that person was created in God's own image, unique, to serve in His own way, He's a wonderful being. And if there is sin that needs to be taken care of, we realize that that is an eternal soul. And our love and care for that person changes when we look at that. And so this tonight, I just want us to again embrace the fact that we do not have bricks and blocks in our churches, but that we each have what? A lively stone. Each one of you is a lively stone. I've kept you long enough. I know we have services in the morning. And uh, let's stand for a word of prayer.